I've told you more than once. It doesn't matter what kind of base lead I've, and how much air you cause me to lose. I've got just so much I'm going to say. All that does is it takes me longer to say it. <laughs> they were right. We will miss you. It was in Matthew 16 that Jesus promised to build His church. He had taken the disciples to the coast of Caesarea Philippi for a retreat. And there on the coast he had said, Whom do you say that I am? And Simon had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus had pronounced a blessing on him. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to thee. And I say that you are Peter. But upon this rock I will build my church. Right after he made that promise to Simon, he told him that he was going to give him the keys to the kingdom. He was telling Simon that he was going to be the one that was going to be designated to announce the, the terms of entry into this kingdom. He was going to be the one to announce the terms of membership in this kingdom. He was going to be the one that when this kingdom was ushered in, who preached that very first sermon in the Lord's church. Well, it's in Acts chapter 2 that we have the account of that very first sermon that Peter preached. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, That first church service, fifty days after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, ushered in a new day. And there were things about that first church service, folks, that were very unique. There were certain phenomena associated with that first service that were never to be seen again. Not in the book of Acts, and certainly not in our day and time. But there were some things in that service that were intended to be universal. And there were some things in that service that were intended to be Abiding. That congregation that assembled there on Pentecost that first day was a congregation that consisted of two distinct groups of people. There were believers and there were non-believers. And though it's often not the case anymore, those same two groups ought to compose our congregation Sunday after Sunday. In that very first service that day, there were those who were confessed followers of Jesus Christ. And if you look carefully at the book of Acts, those believers, those confessed followers of Jesus Christ, who were present that day and who attended that service, they did not represent a smaller percentage of a much larger group. That was one of the impressive things about that service in that far-off day. All the believers were present. 
Can you by an eye of faith? Can you in your sanctified imagination imagine how much more impressive that would be today? Can you imagine the effect that would have in our own day, in our own time? You see, we have come to accept the dismal fact that in the ordinary church, there's only going to be a minority of the overall membership that's going to attend with any degree of regularity. And that's heartbreaking. And how heartbreaking that must be to the Lord. And I think about that and I think about the Rotary Club. And how I've heard those who are members of groups like the Rotary Club talk about the links they go to to stay in good standing with their club attendance. I've known of people that had missed too many Rotary Club meetings traveling 30 miles or more three times in one week to attend up clubs in other towns so they could make sure and make up their Rotary Club attendance. And in the church, we don't expect a large attendance percentage. And we don't even have the stringent attendance requirements of the ordinary civic club. And we wonder about our effectiveness. And we wonder about our power. That was one of the great secrets of the drawing power of the church of the first century. It was that it made such heavy demands upon its membership. The longer I live, the more convinced I am that one of the secrets of our weakness is that our demands are so small. But there was something else about that group in that far-off day. They were present that day, joyfully, eagerly, and expectantly. They were present that day with the joy of a boundless enthusiasm. And they were speaking by their lips, and they were speaking by their lives the mighty works of God. There was something about them and something about their lives and something about their excitement that drew attention And it drew excited wonder. And there were those looking on it that said, What meaneth this? And some sought to explain the behavior of those glad and joyful and excited saints by saying that they had had just a few drinks too many. They were drunk on new wine, someone said. And whatever the explanation or the lack thereof, there was one thing that was certain. Those church members in that far off day, they were church members that could not be ignored. 
Can you imagine? If we got on the phone this week and started calling the members of the Center Church of Christ, can you imagine the excitement it would generate if every member of this congregation was present next Lord's Day? Can you imagine how that would startle and amaze the good folks of Center, Texas? It'd be like Pentecost. They'd say, what meaneth this? Write this down. It's on the final exam. Outsiders. Non-Christians. Can never be entirely indifferent to a church. unless that church and its members have become indifferent to themselves. On that day that Peter preached that first sermon, non-believers were present in far greater numbers than believers that day. Have you ever thought about that? Has that been something that's ever puzzled you? Why so many non-believers attended that service? They didn't come because they felt kindly toward this new movement called Christianity. They had, for the most part, a most unfriendly attitude about this new Christian movement that that man Jesus had started. Those non-believers attending that first service, they came in spite of the deep-seated prejudice that they had against these Christians. And they didn't come because of some gimmick. They did not come because they had a song leader that could be heard outside. And they did not come because there was going to be a great choir singing that day. They did not come because a special quartet was going to be providing music. They did not come because there was going to be a great band that day. They did not come to hear some renowned, eloquent wordsmith of a preacher that day. And they didn't come because they were going to get to see the gymnasts for Jesus, nor were they going to get to see the magicians for the Master. Neither one of those groups were going to be there. There is no fad. There is no gimmick. There is no choir. There is no preacher. There is no singer. There is no band that has the ability to draw people to Jesus Christ more effect effectively than the lives of those who are already drawn to Christ <coughs> and living for Him. Did you hear that? Nothing, nothing will draw Jesus Christ, people to Jesus Christ in greater numbers, more effectively, 
than the lives of those who know Jesus. People who are deeply committed to any cause always cast a spell over others. When the life we live in Center, Texas is a life where other people will see Jesus, really see Jesus living in us, they'll want to have a part of the joy we have as Christians. Sometimes we limit our own effectiveness because there is such a disconnect between what Jesus says to do and the way we actually live. And oftentimes we're ineffective because the world sees little or no difference in the way we live and the way they live. And oftentimes, our friends and our neighbors sense that we don't really know Jesus. And that our lip service to Christianity is shallow. It's hollow. And they sense that Jesus really hasn't made a difference in our lives. We've got to preach a message and we've got to teach a message of salvation. And it's vitally important that we have a hearing for our message of salvation. That's why these lists I keep mentioning are so necessary and important. Before we can induce others to act with us, they must think with us. And before they think with us, they must see what we are. And they must hear what we have to say. Sadly, so often when people actually see what we are, what we have to say becomes meaningless to them. More and more and more in pulpits all over this country Everywhere. Preachers of the Gospel are preaching to those not who are sinners and have never known Jesus Christ. But more and more and more all over the world, preachers are preaching to complacent, And there are many in our day and time. They're here in Center, Texas. They're in Nacogdoches. They're in Garrison. They're in Carthage. 
They're in Dallas. They're in Houston. They're in Austin. They're in San Antonio. They're in Oklahoma. They're in Tennessee. More and more folks who proclaim by their absence and their indifference toward church services that church attendance is not worthwhile. And there are many that listlessly come without any expectation of anything great. And no one wonders today what meaneth this. In that far off day when Peter preached, he was an unlettered fisherman. But he was the leader among the apostles. But when he stood up to preach, he was not alone. It says in verse 14 that he stood up with the eleven. That is, every member of the apostolic group was there. They were giving Him their backing and their support. He had the backing and the support of the entire church, 120 strong. He had a consecrated preacher, a consecrated congregation, and you had Almighty God. And you had a compelling power for the proclamation of the Christian message that day. And he made an orderly progression out of his sermon. And he did it without a microphone. And he did it without a blackboard and without a dry erase board. And he didn't have a PowerPoint presentation either. But he spoke to the point. And he said, what meaneth this? He makes a correction. He said, these men are not drunken as you suppose. And he explains in Acts 2 and verse 16 that this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel way back in old times. And then in verse 22, he says, hear these words. And when he says, hear these words, he begins to tell them about Jesus Christ, a man approved of God. And then the closing part of the sermon that day, he tells them that as great as David was, David's dead and buried and his tomb is still there. But Jesus Christ, he says, is risen. He tells them they were guilty of rejecting Jesus yesterday. He tells them they're guilty of rejecting Jesus here and now. It says in verse 37 that when they heard what he had to say, the King James Version says they were pricked in their hearts. I like the Revised Standard Version better. It says they were cut to the heart. That language has a flavor of violence around it, doesn't it? It implies a wound that is too deep to be ignored. They were cut to the heart. In the contrast to that in the 21st century, in most any congregation in the country this morning, when they heard it, they didn't really care. Or when they heard it, they were bored to death because they had heard about Jesus before. But on that day, 
cut to the heart, they said, what shall we do? They realized they had a problem. They realized that since they were guilty of rejecting Jesus and they were in rebellion against Him, what do we do about it? They said, Peter, how do we pass from bondage and guilt to freedom in Jesus Christ? In verse 38, he said, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those words opened the door to newness of life for those people. And yet sometimes we've done that. But we haven't lived God's kind of life. People around us don't really see Jesus Christ living with us. They don't really see Jesus in our lives. Jesus, in Luke chapter 13, He talked about some that needed to repent. He said, I tell you, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Not my words, the words of Jesus. We want the church to be powerful. We want to do great things for God. Do our friends and our neighbors see Jesus living in us? Or do we need to make changes so they will see Jesus living in us? It's His invitation as we stand and while we're saying.